0: To grab your Bibles, open up to the book of 1 Corinthians, okay? We've been talking about this for the last several weeks, but we're gonna start this journey through studying this this great, just kind of powerful book today. And this study is really gonna take us all the way through August, okay? So we have a lot of work to do. It's gonna be a fun journey. And honestly, just expecting and just like, just eager to see what God is gonna do in us individually as we follow Jesus, but then corporately as the family of, of Doxa. And so if you're here and you don't have a Bible, all right, we would love to give you one. If you wanna kinda jump in on this journey with us as we study the Bible together, specifically 1 Corinthians, you can stop on your way out. As you go out of the auditorium on your left, there's a the welcome space, and you can just grab a Bible or two for your family For as basically our gift to you and so grab one of those but we're going to begin this study today first corinthians and as we get into this i just want to give you kind of like a a flyover like a a 30, foot view of what this book is all about which is going to help us to like understand like how paul is even going to start writing this and introducing this letter to us today but this letter first corinthians is a letter that was written by a man named paul All right, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a church in the city of Corinth, and and really the nature of this letter, okay, is it's really just kind of a response to a number of just like really weird, messed up, ungodly, sinful things that are happening in this church, All right, so if you are like newer to Christianity, you're newer to the church thing, like this is what you just need to know is that there are no perfect people, there are no perfect churches, that everybody has a lot of issues, a lot of baggage, and everybody's broken, and that includes the church. Like pastors, Christians, churches, they're not exempt from this. And as we get into this letter, you're gonna hear some of these things, and you're gonna watch like the things that this church is going through, and you're gonna be like, really? They do that. Yes, they do, and we do a lot of the similar stuff, but you're gonna watch these people, right? That there's people getting drunk at communion, right? They're, they're suing each other over arguments that they're having. Pride is just like running rampant in this church. There were big divisions because people were following certain people and exalting leaders over others, and it was causing divisions, there's a guy sleeping with his stepmom and calling it worshipful, okay? So it's just like a bunch of, I don't know if I'm going to get to preach that week, but I hope I do, okay? It'll be a fun one, right? But there's just a bunch of weird stuff going on, and what Paul is doing is he's writing to address all of this, and Paul has a really unique relationship with this church because he's actually the one who started it. right, that on one of his missionary journeys, Paul stopped in the city of Corinth. He lived there for around 18 months. And while he was there, he was just doing what Christians do. He was in the scriptures. He was telling people about Jesus. And as he shared the gospel, people put their faith in Jesus. They started following him, and this church was started. Like guys, this is how you start a church, right? You don't start a church by pulling into a city and putting up a building or a tent, but you pull in and you start making disciples. And if, as you build disciples, you build a church. This is what we're all about and this is what Paul did. And so he was there for about 18 months and then he left and he left to go start other churches in this region. But this church in Corinth, they kept going and they kept growing. But then three years later, around 52 AD, Paul has to write a letter back and he has to correct all of the stuff that is happening inside of this church. All right, but I wanna just give you like a, a brief understanding of what the city of Corinth was like. Okay, Corinth is located on an isthmus. There's a tiny strip of land in Greece in between two bodies of water, and because of its geography being very strategically located, the city just erupted. All right, and the population grew very, very rapidly, becoming like one of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world, that if you were anybody, you went to Corinth, all right? It was hip, it was chic, it was just happening. You can kind of think like LA, New York City, all right? This is is Corinth. But this city was just growing so quickly in population, but at the same time, the wealth was increasing greatly. And historically, typically what happens in a culture where you see just a huge, influx of people, tag-teamed with a huge influx of money, here's what happens. Immorality, social, moral decline oftentimes takes off as well, specifically sexual immorality. And this was the story in Corinth. I'll just give you a a picture of this, okay? There's going to be a picture that pops up on the screen, but one of the main structures of this city was a temple it was, it was made to worship the, the goddess, the pagan goddess Aphrodite, all right? And what people would do is that this, this temple, and I, and I put this up here, guys, anytime I can point out that what we're talking about is history, I'm always gonna take it, all right? Because there's a temptation to be like, yeah, the Bible is like a spiritual book, it's a, it's a moral book, a philosophical, the Bible is a historical book, and so what we're talking about is we're talking about an actual place, historical people, in actual words that God is speaking to us. But this is Corinth. And in this temple that you're seeing the ruins of, all right, it would house hundreds, maybe, maybe thousands of, of prostitutes. And what people would do is a lot of times these prostitutes would sometimes even be chained to statues of these pagan gods and people would go and they would worship these pagan gods through sexual acts. In addition to this, like these, these prostitutes, every single day at a specific time, what they would do is, you see it's stationed up on a hill, is at a specific time of day, they would kind of like flood down the hill and flood the city, and people would just engage in pagan worship rituals involving sex. So it's just kind of like a weird, kind of dark, twisted place, but on top of this, guys, one of the things that became very common and very popular in the city of Corinth were public bathhouses where people would just go and they would really just bathe together. They would bring their families there. And so it was very common practice that men would take their wives, they would take their kids, they would take their other family members, and they would just kind of exchange them with the other friends in these bathhouses. And they would just have a good time worshiping the goddess Aphrodite. All right, just a very twisted place, a very hyper-sexualized culture. As we go through this, guys, I just wanna, you're gonna see that while it's many, many years ago in Corinth, very eerily similar to Madison today. There's gonna be so much crossover, but all of this was just causing the city of Corinth to really just decay. And so you have this city with a a rapidly growing population, a rapidly growing wealth, and rapidly growing immorality, and in the midst of all this, essentially, you had two classes of people emerge. There was an upper class who really just embraced the ideologies and the practices of the Corinthian culture and then an emerging, growing lower class who followed this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. All right, so you have two worldviews, two groups of people that were rapidly growing at the same time but were radically, radically different. And historically speaking, when you have two opposing worldviews growing simultaneously in a culture, one of two things always happens. Right, the first thing that will happen is that these worldviews they will collide and they will oppose one another. Right, and when this happens, they kind of just stop, and you end up with two very divided, very segregated groups of people. Now, the other thing that tends to happen is this: is that these two worldviews they won't just collide and stop, but they will collide, and they will overlap. All right, and in this collision, in this overlap, what happens is that these groups, they start to morph, they start to change, and they start to look like one another. That each of these groups are distinct, and then they come together, and then they adapt and adopt different things from the other side, and they start to look like each other. And this is what is happening in Corinth. The Christians, as they lived in the city, they began to be radically impacted by the cultural trends of Corinth, and they started living in the overlap of the collision of these two worldviews. That instead of the church like loving and following the words and the works and the ways of Jesus, the Corinthian Christians, they just started to blend in. They started to adapt and, and adopt really just the ways and the works and the words of the Corinthian culture. That instead of being sold out and committed to Jesus, what they had is they had one foot in the immorality and the ideology of the culture and another foot in the church. That instead of standing and holding firm to the truths of God, they began to adopt the language and the teachings and the ideas and just like the worldview of the culture. Guys, does this sound a little bit close to home? I mean, this is where we're at. And maybe this is a picture of of some of your lives today, that you are just being radically impacted by culture that you don't maybe even know it right but you're, you're sitting in a place where it's not so much the words of God that are driving your worldview but it's your favorite media source it's not so much the words of Jesus that you're hanging your life on and grabbing hold to but it's your favorite fill in the blank this is what is happening to these people in Corinth radically being impacted by the culture that they're living in, it's pulling them away from God. But in response to this, Paul writes a letter with one overarching theme. And what he says is essentially this, you cannot live in the overlap. And in the midst of this, even though he's, he's writing and he's gonna call these people out, he's just gonna go right after their sin, guys. he's writing full of love for these people. And he's writing full of confidence and hope for these people in the midst of their mess of their lives because of one name, one man, one God, Jesus Christ. And so let's get into this. We're just gonna start with the first nine verses today. So I'm just gonna read this and then we're gonna get to work, okay? But here's what we got. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, as Paul looks at this church with so many problems, so much sin, brokenness, division, heresy, he does something so interesting Like, he he, he knows what's going on. That's why he's writing this letter. But if you look at how he opens up this letter, what he does is he looks at the Corinthian church as it is in Christ before he looks at anything else that is true of it. That Paul doesn't just come out and start attacking the sin of the people in this church, but he starts off with, look back, he starts off with celebrating what God has already done in and through Jesus. And the way that he does this is by putting the emphasis on Jesus. That Paul, even though all this crazy stuff is happening in the church, he doesn't start off by putting the emphasis and the spotlight on sin. What he does is puts the spotlight on Jesus. And if you look back, the name Jesus Christ occurs nine times in the first nine verses. That it's all about Jesus. And what he's trying to teach the Corinthians and what he's trying to teach us today, most of all, is what it means to have Jesus in the middle of your story the center of your life, your thoughts, your really everything. Because if the Corinthians, if they could do that, if they would do that, all the issues that they had, all the brokenness, all the sin that's gonna come up in this letter, they would kinda just sort themselves out because if they can truly understand their relationship to God in Jesus, they wouldn't find themselves living in the overlap. And so Paul takes the first nine verses to remind the Christians in the city of Corinth who they are, because I want you to hear this. This is, this is paramount. Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. All right, that your identity will always drive your activity, that what you do comes from who you are. And so Paul, before he even gets into talking about the problems in this church, calling these people out in their sin, he reminds them of Jesus and their relationship with God. And the rest of the letter is really just kind of built on this foundation, All right? And he starts off with just saying, don't you just remember who you are? He says, you're holy ones, you're sanctified, you're saints. It's like, do you, do you, do you forget that? And he's saying, because of this, because of this is who you are, because you're declared holy by God, you should live holy. And really, the first nine verses are kind of like the Lion King moment, right? When Mufasa shows up in the cloud and talks to Simba. You guys remember that? Am I the only one that? Yeah, okay, a couple of you guys, right? So, But Simba, he's, he's living a life that it's just not in line with his identity, right? And then Mufasa shows up in this cloud, and he's like, Simba, that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> remember, guys, I just, I, my mind's blown. I didn't know that Mufasa is the same voice as Darth Vader because I said, remember who you are this, at the first service and I thought, it was like, oh, it kind of sounds like Darth Vader and they're like, oh, it is. So quick fun fact if you didn't know that. But anyway, this is what Paul's doing, all right? He shows up and he's like, remember who you are. They've forgotten. He's saying, live a life in line with your identity of who you are because when you know who you are, you know what to do. So what does Paul remind him of? Four things. Look back, verse two. Here's what Paul says. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, I want you to circle sanctified in your Bible, sanctified in Christ Jesus, and I want you to circle the word called, called to be saints and circle saints as well called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So first thing, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they have been called by God. All right, he says this again in verse nine. And and Doxa, I just need you to understand the great blessing of being called by God. Look at verse nine. We learn of kind of the goal of the call of God. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Doc said the, the call of God brings us into relationship with Jesus. And so to become a Christian means to be called by God into fellowship with his son. And I wanna show you something so interesting about this idea of of God's call to us. Look down to verse 23, just scan down. Verse 23 and 24, here's what Paul says. He says, we preach Christ crucified, we're gonna get into this in a couple weeks, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called. To those who are called, it's not foolishness, it's not a stumbling block, but what is it? It's Christ's power, it's the Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And here's what you need to know. God's call is not merely just the preaching of the gospel because Paul says that there's many Jews and many Gentiles who hear his preaching, but they don't respond. That Paul, he might cry out for them and invite them and call to them, but unless God calls to them, his preaching is really just in vain. And so, call Paul, or so God's call is, is something more than just our call to men, and our invitation to people. This is what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter six, verse 44. If you remember what he says, he says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them, unless God calls. And what Paul says is that when God calls us, we stop being blind to the meaning of the cross. When God calls us, we stop regarding the Gospel of Jesus as foolishness, and we embrace it as the power of God to save. This is Paul in Romans 1 16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save. And maybe you've seen this in people's lives. Maybe this was your story. This is certainly my story. You know people that for the longest time, they don't care anything about Jesus. They don't care anything about God. They certainly wouldn't come to a church. And then all of a sudden, Something happens, the lights go on and now they can articulate the gospel, they can tell you that Jesus came and he lived and he died for our sin, he rose for our justification and I believe and follow Jesus. What happened? It's the call of God. That God's call awakens sinners from the sleep of death. And it does not merely invite people like man does, but it changes hearts. And so here's what I'll ask you, Doxa. Does this truth do anything for you? I mean, I just really need you to think about this. I'll speak to, for those of you in here that are Christians, let me just talk to you for a minute, okay? You understand the gospel. As Christians, you've received forgiveness of sin. You've received eternal life with God. Not because you figured it out not because you are smarter and more spiritual than the next person. The only reason that you have salvation and relationship with God is because God called out to you and he looked at you in the midst of your sin and he called you. Does that, does that make you feel anything? Does that like move you? It should. Doxa, this absolutely should, that God called you to open your eyes. So you can see Jesus, do you feel thankful? The Corinthians, they've totally forgotten this. They grew numb to this wonderful truth and instead of being thankful and worshipful and living to honor the God who saved them, they became prideful and humanistic and they just went their own way, forgetting about the God who called them, who loved them, who saved them. Now, For those of you, I'll speak to the other group in this room, for those of you who who maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. First off, I'm glad, I love that you're here. One of my highest honors is to teach you the Bible, but let me ask you this question. Do you understand why you're here? You're not here by chance. God, in his sovereignty, is calling you. That is why you're here. Because on your own, on our own, because of sin in all of our lives, we will not ever naturally lean in and wanna follow God. We will not naturally have any type of spiritual thought of like, you know what, I need to get to know God. I need to get into the Bible. I need to pursue this Jesus. On our own, we won't do that. But God is calling you, and he's bringing you to this place because he loves you. He wants to open up your eyes. He wants to save you. And his call is, is hopefully beginning to help you to understand your sin, to understand his cross, to understand that he is a savior. So that, not that you can like examine it, but that you can experience it. God is, is calling people to himself. And it's not just a call to hear, but it's a call to experience. And so the question that I'd have to ask you if you had fallen to that camp where you're like, I keep coming back, it's because God is calling you, he's bringing you to himself. I'll ask you this, is like, will you call on him? Verse two, God's calling, but then he says, to all those who call on the name of the Lord. This is their proper response, this is salvation. And when this happens, guys, when we are called and we come to Jesus in faith, here's what happens. The second thing that Paul reminds the Corinthians of, verse two again, it's this. It's that they have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That when God calls and we come to Jesus, our identity is now that of being sanctified saints. And I wanna explain this because that sounds a little Christian nerdy, heady, theological, okay? But here's what this means. Because once again, we have to understand this because really when we get this, guys, the natural response, the only logical response will be worship, wonder, awe, and praise. This is so incredibly beautiful because the nature of every Christian is that they have been sanctified in Jesus and called saints. And if you've been around the church for a while, if you've read theology books and listened to podcasts and all this stuff, when we think of sanctification, all right, we tend to think of like the lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. But what we see in this verse is that Paul refers to it as something decisive that has already happened in the past. We're gonna get into this in a few weeks as we get into chapter six, but I just wanted to read this to you. In chapter six, verses nine through 11, Paul says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he lists a bunch of examples of unrighteous. He says the adulterers, the thieves, the greedy, greedy the, the fill in the blank, right? And then he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. He says you used to be those things, but what happened? What happened? but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So Paul is saying, you were a drunk and then a decisive moment. You were an adulterer, but then a decisive moment. You were greedy, you were immoral, you were fill in the blank, but then a decisive break you were sanctified, that God's call changed you and made, Jesus made a decisive break in your story and your identity. And Doc this is the gospel. This is why it always comes back to Jesus. Because what's true of every single one of us is that every single one of us are sinners by nature and choice, and that sin separates us from God. But in love and grace, God steps into our story as the man Jesus Christ. And Jesus dies for our sin. He raises for our justification. And through faith, he takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And he makes us new saints, okay? If you are a Christian, you are a saint. Some of you young guys that are trying to find a job, this will help you on your application. Why should I hire you? Well, I'm a saint, right? You can put that, right? Have fun explaining that one, right? But this is your identity, and the word saint literally means someone who's set apart, someone who's holy. It's a holy one. Doctor, this is your position in Christ. And so to be a saint is to be a holy one, meaning that you live like Jesus. You're set apart, you're holy, that you stop sinning and you start obeying. And this is massive because if you know the Bible, in places like uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says that without holiness, no one we'll see God, and so holiness is a really big deal, but let me ask you this, how is your holiness going? I mean, just think about your life, survey your life, just be honest with yourself, how's your holiness going? Like, are you growing in holiness? Are you starting to hate sin more and more and love Jesus more and more? Christians, like do you see changes in your life? Like as you think about your life, like compare it from last year to this year, like is sin dying as your love for Jesus raises? Like where you you have like these past desires and these past habits and then suddenly like your desires are changing and you wanna go and you do different things. Like is that happening for you? I was, call, I was talking to a guy just the other day and he just became a Christian and he was addicted to pornography and substances and I was just talking with him and he's loving Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, just trying to figure it out. And I asked him like, man, how's, your, how's life going? How's your walk with God? And he just said, man, I, I mean good. He's like, I don't really get it but I just have different desires now. Have any of you experienced that? I mean, I, I, that's, this is my story. Like I, I met Jesus and then for some reason like just had different desires. This is the work of God producing holiness. The Corinthians did not want to be holy. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to keep their sin in the dark and hide it. Certainly not let anybody in. And I know that this might be some of your stories today. Like some of you, you, you don't want to get into any really close relationships here at Doxa because somebody will find your sin. Some of you, you, you you're scared to death to get into a connection group. You don't wanna go through the membership process. You don't wanna call like a counselor or a pastor to help you out with your marriage because you're afraid if someone just peeks in there, they're gonna be like, wow, he's really broken. This isn't holiness, that's hiding. And the safest place in Madison to be real with our sin and to strive for holiness and to repent is right here amongst the family of God, amen? Because we're all broken. I'm not shocked by any of your sin and you should not be shocked by mine. We're sinners in need of a savior. But Paul says, if you're truly a child of God, then you are a person who should desire and strive to be holy. Throwing off sin that will creep in and just choke you out. This is Hebrews chapter 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, throwing off sin, the stuff that'll entangle us and cripple us. And one of my biggest fears of of my life and, and really this church is that we would get in the way and hinder the movement of God by not striving for holiness. Like I don't wanna be like the Corinthians where like the holiness of God is not a high value. I mean Paul, he uses this word saint some 60 times throughout his letters. It's a big, big deal. Now maybe you're thinking this and you're like, wow, I had no idea holiness was such a big deal. You're talking slower and quieter. It's making me feel something, right? How do I get that? Doctor? So here's the good news. It's not you just white knuckling it, okay? It's not you just trying to be like a super Christian. It's not you trying to be like really, really holy and really, really religious, and it's not just on you. Verse three, what's it on? Grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives grace. This is the way to holiness and his saving grace not only makes us saints and saves us from sin and saves us from hell, but his grace also empowers us to live as saints. We talked about this last week, that yes, God's grace is there when we fail and we sin to forgive us and to pick us up and to make us strong, but God's grace is actually there before we sin, to change our mind, to change our hearts, to change our desires so that we don't have to say yes to sin. We can say yes to Jesus. This is God's amazing grace. This is the great gift that he gives to his called saints. And Paul is reminding these crazy Christians of this great truth. And he talks about this grace that, that saves and sanctifies and empowers. He gives thanks, right? Look back to verse four. I give thanks to my God always for you. Now, because just think about the context of this letter. This is really weird, right? I mean, Paul is writing because all these people, he's like, you drunk, naked, crazy people. I'm so incredibly thankful for you, right? I mean, he's just like, I thank God for every single one of you. It's just weird, but why does he thank God? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. These people have been sanctified and sealed by the Spirit. Their lives are just a mess, And Paul is saying, I thank God that he did that. And I'm thanking God that he hasn't given up on you. That God could have just looked at these people and said, you, no, you've been naked one too many times this week, you're out, right? You're drunk at communion, come on, man. And he could have just pulled the plug and said, I'm gone. But no, he stayed with them. And even more than just staying with them, look at verse five, in every way, They were enriched in him. I want you to circle enriched in him, enriched in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you that they were Christians so that you are, and I want you to circle this next part, not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing that Paul says about the identity of these Christians in Corinth is that God, by his grace, through the work of Jesus, has gifted and enriched them. And we're gonna get into more into depth about these spiritual gifts in the weeks to come as Paul gets into it more. But here's what I want you to see, all right? The Bible tells us that every Christian is given spiritual gifts, and these gifts are, are used and should be used to build up the church, to help ministry happen, to bring glory to God and good to the world around us. And what Paul is saying is this, is like, man, God has been so good to you, and I praise God because he has given you so much He's given you gifts and talents and abilities. You're not lacking anything to do what God has called you to do. But here's the issue with the Corinthians. They weren't lacking anything. I mean, it's this beautiful picture of a vibrant church, but they were just very immature. And they become very prideful and self-centered that instead of living like Jesus and thanking God for blessing them with these spiritual gifts, they just really just started exalting these gifts. And they started exalting the people who had these gifts and the attention went off of Jesus and onto these people and these gifts. And instead of using their gifts as God intends, they focused on themselves, not caring about others. And so while they're not lacking anything, they're lacking maturity in love. That unlike the other churches, some of the other churches that Paul planted and started, like the church in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica in, in, in Philippi, these church, the Corinthians didn't have the same level of maturity, the same moral character as these other ones. They were immature. And this is another good place for us to just pause for a moment and just have like a personal moment of reflection as you think about your walk with God. I want you just to ask yourself, am I maturing? Like, Christian, are you growing? Are, are you repenting of sin? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Like, is your life becoming more and more like Jesus's? Because this is the goal of your life. I mean, Paul, Romans eight twenty nine, being conformed to the image of Jesus. And so ask yourself and talk about it this week in your connection group, even as it relates to this gifting. Like, are you, ask yourself, like, am I using the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God has given me to bless and to serve the church in our city? I mean, what has God gifted you with to use? If you look back to verse one, Paul says, God called me to be an apostle. He's gifted Paul. And Paul says, I'm doing it. I'm running around everywhere. I'm doing, I'm being an apostle. I'm pouring my life out. And then he says that you have been gifted and called in a different way, but a unique way to live for God's glory and for the good of those around you. And so what is the life that God has intended you to live here in Madison? Like what's your part to play? What's your role? What has God gifted you in to build the church and to bless our city? And guys, this is one of the big problems in the church today is that the church today is so oftentimes filled with spectators and consumers and not players and contributors. Doxa, we we talk about this all the time, like one of our core values is family. And we don't do that because we just like kids and grandmas, but we do this because it's the language of the Bible, that we are the family of God. And this is how God intends the church, us as Doxa, to function that we're a family. And when you think about your family, for a family to march forward and to thrive and to keep moving, everybody's got a role to play, right? Someone's mowing the grass, someone's changing the diapers, someone's cooking, someone's taking out the trash. Like we all come together as a family unit, doing something, contributing, and the family moves forward. Guys, this is how we are designed to live that we're a family on a mission to bring glory to God and good to the city around us. This is why we're here. And the way that this family works is by the saints. Christian, you, using your gifts and actually contributing. And so for those of you who are maybe, you've, you've been around and you've been in the church, but you've never really done it. Like, this is not the way the family functions, right? If I just showed up at home and said, Lisa, I'm home, I'm ready to be served, and it better be really, really good. Right? there's gonna be a salt shaker thrown across the kitchen, right? But some of us, we, we do that. We come to church and we have that posture. I'm here, serve me, and I want it to be good. It's not the family of God. We get involved and we use what God has given us. This was Jesus' posture. And he's not just our savior, but he's our model. Now, just imagine these Christians in Corinth, what they're thinking as they're hearing this letter be read. Because, guys, this is what happened, right? Paul wrote this letter. All the Christians kind of came together like this. Someone got up on the stage and they just read the letter. I mean, they're probably thinking <laughs> some pretty intense stuff. And maybe some of you are thinking this too. But they're hearing this and they're reminding, or they're reminded that they're, they're called by God. And they think, well, I haven't really cared about that but I guess that's kind of a big deal. Like they're reminded that they have been sanctified and saved by Jesus and they think, well, and I guess I forgot how great that is, but that's, that's big. They're reminded that like every ability and gift and talent that they have is to be used for God's glory and building the church and helping other people and they just think, well, I'm just using all that stuff because I gotta get money because I gotta put a deck on my back ho- the back of my house. I gotta get a new car. And as they're hearing this, they're likely feeling pretty convicted and bad about how they're living. And Paul hasn't even talked about their sin yet. He's just saying, here's what God has done for you. And while they're feeling this likely, I love this, Paul gives them hope. And so, Doc, so what is our hope in the midst of the mess of life? What is the hope in the midst of the mess of the Corinthian church? Verses eight and nine, the last thing that Paul reminds us as Christians. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to circle this, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul, he believes something about God here. And I just need you to see this. All right, he believes that God can do a miraculous thing. That he knows, he's looking at these groups of people and they're just crazy and he knows that God can take these jacked up people, these sinful people, and make them holy so that they can live like Jesus and bless their city. Now, how does Paul know this? How is he so convinced of this? That's that he experienced it in his own life, right? Remember when we were studying Acts? Paul was a terrible, terrible, terrible man, like killing Christians, throwing them in jail, really bad dude, meets Jesus, Jesus does the miraculous, changes his life. And he's like, he's done it for me, I know that he can do it for you. Because I have the same posture and the same excitement and the same hope as Paul because this is my story. God just taken a jacked up dude and changing me. And I've seen him do it in my life and I know that he can do it in yours. Doctor, I want you to see this, God has not given up on the Corinthians and he doesn't give up on you. And so even if you're looking at your life and surveying your life right now and you are just like a hot mess, like totally sinful, you're stuck in sin, you're stuck in perversion, you've got your hand on your, mu- whatever it is, if you're not dead, God is not done, amen? God is not giving up on the Corinthians and he's not giving up any of us he's a father and he loves us as his kids you dads in here you know how you feel about your kids even when they're just like crazy right you're not like yep you're done Titus I know you're only four but go walk down the street right no I put my arm around him and like you're driving me nuts dude but I love you and you help him and you love him this is what God is doing for us And that's the encouragement for Paul. God's not done with us. The Corinthians, they weren't faithful. And guys, we're not faithful. We sin, we mess up, we're prideful, we're broken. We make mistakes, we don't do what we should do. We do the stuff that we shouldn't do. But where's our hope? Jesus. Jesus is here and he's loving and he's giving grace and he's helping and he's challenging because he loves us. He's working on us to make us more like him. And these Corinthians, right, they're they're just so fixated on everything else in life. Like they're thinking about making money, they're thinking about going out and getting hammered, they're just thinking about just having sex with as many people as they can. They're thinking about everything and Paul says nine times, Jesus. It's like a dad grabbing the kids and he's just like, I need you to look at Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus and give your life to Jesus and serve Jesus. It's always going back to Jesus. And Paul says, if you would just look at him, Hebrews 12, look at him, fix your eyes on him. You will walk the straight path. You will honor God. You will love him. It's all Jesus. He's our help. He's the one that empowers us. He's the way and the truth and the life. And listen to this, Doc, say he's faithful. And so think about your life. I mean, has God been faithful to you? Guys, you need to think about this. God has been so incredibly faithful to every single one of us, no matter how broken our stories are. There's always a, an element of the faithfulness of God. Has God been faithful to our church? I mean, guys, come on. It's been amazing. We, in the midst of 2020, where all the division and stuff is happening, he has been so faithful to keep our church unified and together in the midst of just the pandemic as we wouldn't have a place, but all of a sudden, like the faithfulness of God shows up and we have a building to meet in, and gather and worship and be in community together. God has been so incredibly faithful. He's brought people to lead and to serve so much so that we have a bunch of kids back there that are being taught in the Bible and discipled by people who love Jesus and love them. Like we have so many blessings. God's blessing has been all over our church, all over all of our lives. He's faithful, he's faithful. And here's what I'll leave you with, it's a question. While he's faithful, the question that you have to ask is will I be faithful to God? Will I be faithful to God? I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna give you some time as the band comes up here and we're gonna sing and respond and do what you need to do. Go before God, repent of your sin, ask him for his empowering grace, come to Jesus, become a Christian, Let him be your father, let him be your savior. Whatever you need to do, do that now, I'm gonna pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. God, even when I think about your faithfulness, I I think of just me just for years running so far and so hard in the opposite direction of of you. And your faithfulness, your, your love, didn't give up on me, but you called. You called me, you opened my eyes so that I could see Jesus and you saved my life, literally. And so God, I I pray that you would just continue to help us to be the church that you've created us to be, help us to be saints, like the family of God, holy, set apart, living and loving like Jesus. So we, we love you, God. would you just help us to just encounter your love as we sing these songs back to you and I pray that you would just show your love in a really real way that if there's somebody in here that's doubting that that's questioning that, that haven't received that, that they would leave here different, they would leave here a saint so thank you for being so faithful I pray this in Jesus name